0: do we start? Cattle seem to be the bane of my existence, yet exactly what I order on the menu when I go somewhere for fine dining. I went to vet school to learn about horses and dogs and cats. It was probably wrong of me, but I didn't pay as much attention to the cattle lectures as I did to the horse lectures. I wasn't planning on working on cattle. I just wasn't that interested in them. We had like five growing up. I remember one died giving birth One or two made it to the freezer, one tormented my sister, and the last was abducted by aliens never to be seen again. That was my experience until college, where I got more in-depth in cattle, earning me the green badge of courage. I never hated cows, I just didn't see the need to work on them. I was going to return to my hometown, after an internship, and expand on the horse abilities at the local practice. Well, none of that worked out, and I ended up starting my own mobile practice, which eventually grew into a brick and mortar practice. This episode will follow the economic path of cattle while my veterinary practice grew. It's kind of a sad thing, but shows the challenges the industry faces and why it is failing in certain sectors. Not everything is failing all across the country, but we are certainly losing the small-time cattle farmer. This is the story of my region and practice. So don't be disheartened if your practice or region is different, but use it to make decisions on what could happen in your practice as a veterinarian or as a client why you have to support the local veterinary practices. Because some of the reasons we are losing cattle farmers is their own fault. They don't adapt. It's not just the individual farmers, some of it is big industry outcompeting the small farmer. Some of it is a national problem, where we outsource everything to larger companies and forget how important local business is. How when local business is strong, the nation can support itself better in times of strife. All the same, I started my local business in 2010. I had no money, so I started out of my parents' house and bought the equipment to work on horses using the old truck my parents gave me to use as my own vet mobile, and I became an outdoor vet. I quickly realized I needed to work on more than horses because the money was not coming in to pay the bills. I was doing relief work and horse work and what organically came next being out at a farm was cattle work. I saw the owner's horse and they then asked me to look at their cow. At first, I thought I was an idiot with cattle. I should have paid more attention in school because my first few cases went horribly. But I soon realized something. In my region, I was an expert with cattle, even with little practical experience. Once some practical experience came, my confidence grew. Cattle medicine in my area was about 40 years behind the times. Horse medicine, about 10 years. In my class, I was not known as the cattle student. But upon graduation, just knowing my class notes made me dreadfully ahead of the vast majority of my clients' knowledge. That was and is a bad thing. Economics and medicine has changed a lot in 40 years. I wasn't even born 40 years ago. I don't really know what to compare it to. Cattle medicine needed to grow and I took to diligently trying to improve cattle medicine in the area. Education was the biggest thing. I started talking about closed herds and only having a bull in a herd for a specific period of time to shorten their breeding and thus birthing time to a specific window. I started testing for bovine leukemia, which as far as I could tell, had not been tested for in the regional cattle herd for years. I educated people how vaccines needed to be given more than once every seven years to cattle, as seemed to be the popularly held belief in my region. One of the biggest things I pushed were head gates. Proper restraint for cattle would keep people safe. When anaplasma started rearing its ugly, tick-borne head, I started pushing testing for that as well as vaccination for that. Eventually, I soon added Yoni's disease to the list of diseases I've regularly tested for in cattle as I was finding more of these diseases than I felt were acceptable. I remember having arguments with people. They would get a positive Yoni's animal, which is a non-curable and transmissible disease, and they would want to sell it to their neighbor down in the hauler who had a cure for Yoni's. I had to tell them this was unethical and no one living in a hauler had a cure for Yoni's disease. If you had a cure for this disease, you would have enough money to forget what a hauler was. The business side of cattle seemed as frustrating as a conversation about Yoni's, but let's start at looking at the numbers. I started really calculating numbers in 2013 cattle were 10% of my business. Years ago, I said anything in my business that was less than 10% of my entire business I could do without. Another colleague with a more successful practice told me that number should be 20%. So 10% seemed low, but I chalked my low cattle numbers up to learning to practice cattle medicine and learning to run a business. How could I grow that? One of the largest clinics working on large animals in my region decided in 2013 to exit large animal medicine. I bought their large animal portion mostly for the horse portion, but also because I figured this would increase my cattle clientele. This greatly reduced the number of large animal practitioners I was competing against. I expected a big bump after that. My percentage of cattle services was 9.9 in 2014. That worked out to about 13,000 in gross sales. In 2015, it grew to 12% and stayed there in 2016. To me, this was odd. I couldn't drive five minutes without seeing cattle in the fields, and there just weren't that many vets seeing cattle. I bought out one of the large competitors. Why were the numbers not growing? I must need to do more to bring cattle clients to me. Veterinarians were giving the heads up about the veterinary feed directive before the government rolled it out. And I started trying to prepare farmers by sending out surveys to figure out how many animals were in their herds and how the herds were set up. The goal of this was to provide better consultations for cattlemen and use this to help maintain valid VCPRs as well as be able to track down disease outbreaks more easily. The surveys had questions that were simple but important. How many cows do you have? What is their water source? Other things of that nature. I had 200 cattle clients at the time and only received two or three surveys back over the year. After newsletter articles to my clients, Facebook posts, physically handing a survey to every client I saw, I did not get people on board for the VFD. Hardly anyone used VFDs. The few that did use companies that, even though I had legally acceptable VFDs, to write for them, the companies would not use my VFDs. This is where my anger towards southern states developed. They were forced by the government to act basically as a pharmacist, and they did not have the training. They could not work with me, and I could not work with them. I stopped issuing VFDs because I feared their improper use would lead to assaults on my veterinary license. I had hit another wall. So I needed to focus on growing other services I had been offering. I started teaching people to draw blood on their cattle so they could bring me the blood samples to test for pregnant animals. This would help with herd management. They learned, and they stopped using me when the local ag extension agent offered this test to them for free. Sure, that made sense from a cattleman's perspective. Use the free services, make sure their cattle were pregnant. But from my perspective, I wondered if the local ag agent would come out at midnight to pull a calf in negative 17 degree weather. By 2017, my gross cattle sales dropped to 11.8% of the business. I kept trying to grow the practice, which I figured should get easier. One cattle practitioner had passed and his cattle clients needed a veterinarian. A second vet retired and sold his practice to a younger vet who stopped seeing cattle and went strictly to small animals. I realized a number of the other known cattle vets really just saw some cattle when they were slow at their office from seeing small animals. They had grown up treating cattle, but realistically saw drastically less than me. And I kept wondering because my numbers were not large. I was one man and offered herd work and ER work. I also offered selling vaccines to people via a dropship pharmacy and an online pharmacy. The drug companies were not helpful with the online pharmacy, as they did not seem to want to invest in cattle medicine, as it was not lucrative on their end. So I instead was forced to, with changing regulations as well, to have orders shipped to my clinic to distribute to farmers and lost the dropship option. Having things shipped to my clinic failed miserably as most cattle clients couldn't fill out the forms to tell me what vaccinations they wanted and how many they wanted. They did not know how many cattle they had and most of the time they wanted the supplies the day they called. To keep inventory and price down, I did not keep those drugs in stock at the clinic and would only special order them. Shipping in general only took 48 hours and none of these were emergency drugs because those I had on hand, so I felt this was a very reasonable timeline. While shipping is fast, it takes more than a day to get supplies in when a farmer calls to ask for them. But why should I stock those items? Vaccinating cows was not an emergency. This was something that could be planned for. I could keep costs down for me and my cattlemen. Alas, my cattle clients could not order effectively, nor did they want to. Only three or four cattlemen ordered enough to make this service viable. And sadly, one of them passed away due to COVID. The other orders were so small, I tended to lose money on shipping fees that I was charged. Supplies straight from a vet. How much better could it get? Well, I guess one of the problems was you couldn't just order anything from me. Certain supplies required valid VCPRs and I wouldn't dispense drugs without having seen the herd in the last year. This was the law, so of course I would follow it. One of the remaining practices near me, however, would dispense drugs without a valid VCPR to my clients. I soon lost my ability to market cattle supplies. There's not much profit in many of the cattle supplies, and cattle clients would rather pick up medicines instead of ordering them or or maintaining a legal VCPR. I was dismayed. I asked one cattleman why he kept using the clinic that illegally dispensed drugs, as he knew this was an illegal practice. His response was honest. It was easier to break the law. I soon lost the ability to market cattle supplies. Prescription medication, because people wanted easy, was dosed out by the other clinic. OTC medication, because they didn't know how many cattle they had, nor what they wanted. While I did offer consults, I also found cattlemen did not want to pay for me to tell them what vaccines to order. Of course, my cattle form informed them of the vaccine option so they didn't need me, but if they couldn't read the form, I wanted them to pay me for my time. Also, after so many years of cattle work, I found they were not calling me out for actual herd consults to help them increase their profits of their herds, but rather just emergencies. Most cattle clients called for a sick cow, a dystocia, or a prolapse every two to three years. My cattle business peaked in 2018 at 13.5% of my gross, which worked out to be about $34,000 of sale. Each year, I added valuable services to my practice and adapted to help the cattle clients with their needs, or at least where they needed to improve. While I wanted to meet the cattle clients halfway with the services I offered, I could not practice as vets practiced 40 years ago. This was a yearly frustration to me and I couldn't explain it. Why were we stuck 40 years ago? One night at a late emergency talking to a cattle farmer after I had pulled a calf in the snow, I realized that the national average of cattle farmers was 65 years of age. That was no different in my region, and that was why my cattle clientele and I were having a hard time learning from each other. Most cattle farmers had been doing this for 40 years. While I had learned a lot of practical, hands-on knowledge from them, they were not taking advantage of my new ideas that fit into the changing cattle world. My medical knowledge was current, but they were not familiar with the new practices, nor had adapted from practices from 40 years ago when they started. This individual cattle client on this late night emergency was a minor victory. After about eight years of serving this client, he had finally admitted to me he should probably heed my advice and buy a head gate to control his cattle. We had lost too many animals from the sheer problem that I exhausted myself pulling a calf when every minute or so i had to let go and lose the progress i had made because the cow started dancing around the next time i went out to this farmer he finally had a headgate. we saved the calf and the cow he agreed with me it was one of his best purchases in his cattle career a small victory but at age 65 how much longer would he have cattle at this point i'd had more than one conversation with clients that they were physically getting to the point it was not safe for them to handle cattle, especially without head gates. A 70 year old's bones and reflexes were just not always capable of handling a two year old 1400 pound animal. There was one benefit that kept me in cattle medicine longer and helped me for three years early in my career to stay in cattle medicine. And this is probably why I didn't slow cattle medicine earlier. I received government loans from the state of Kentucky to work on cattle as well as pigs and sheep and goats. That was nice. It helped me pay off my student loans but that was only for a few years so I felt that debt had been repaid. I never could receive the federal loans. It seemed the federal people wanted me to build cattle barns so they could take a picture and show a senator all the good that had been done but I knew I didn't need to build facilities rather I needed needed to educate cattle clientele. All the facilities in the world wouldn't help if the cattle people didn't know how to use them. But education is hard to show off. It's not tangible. So it was nice the federal government was trying to help vets who decided to work on cattle, but they may have needed to trust the people in the field to get the job done that needed to be done. Let's take a break for now, and we'll get to more in the next episode. I'm Dr. Nathan. Thanks for listening. I hope our discussions are valuable to you and aid in giving perspective. If you want to contact us, please reach out to theveterinarypodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You can find a complete list of the podcast episodes on SoundCloud. If you find this information helpful and want more content, please join our Patreon, patreon.com slash theveterinarypodcast. And don't forget to follow our Facebook page facebook.com slash theveterinarypodcast. As always, thanks for listening, and I hope this information is helpful to you. If you do find it helpful, please like it, share it, so other people may find it helpful as well.